Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love Podcast. For this episode, we're going to be talking about a variety of topics, including Hawkeye, the new episode from the Book of Boba Fett, in addition to my upcoming trip to London. As always, we will conclude with our very popular Stuff We Love segment. So let's meet the hosts. I'm Jack. I'm Scott. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love Podcast. Jack, it's so good to have you back on the show. It's been a while. It has been a while. Unfortunately, school is not too convenient for my podcasting schedule, but I'm excited to uh, be back and talk about the topics we have today. How many of your classmates do you think have podcasts? Based on the uh, the, the chirping I hear from my friends and classmates, I'm going to say not many because <laughs> there are people are always fascinated to hear about it, and I'm always happy to talk about it. But no, I can't. I don't think too many. Yeah, I through podcasting and Twitter, I've met people that have podcasts. But if you go up to the average person on the street and say, oh, do you have a podcast? Even though tons do, chances are you're yeah. going to hear no. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've been asked before. I've been in like discussions with people before where it comes out that I have a podcast and they'll say, oh, what's it about? So then I'll say, well, we talk about movies and Disney World and all this stuff. And Sometimes they're very interested and they want to subscribe. And then other times at the end, they say, okay, thanks for telling me about it. <laughs> it's very clear <laughs> that they're, they're not going to listen, but it's just not, uh, not everyone's a Disney fan or a movie fan, I guess. No, I try to keep it very broad. I'll say, oh, we talk about movies, music, yeah. all things pop culture. And then they're like, oh, okay. That's, yeah. that's interesting. There is something for everyone on the Stuff We Love podcast. There really is between yeah. all the different hosts. And I mean, we do kind of talk about, we have a couple of you know, repeating topics, but other than that, we pretty much talk about everything. Yes, absolutely. And uh, this is also our first episode of the new year. So very exciting. It is. And we had a really great uh, year this past year. Like we, we, I don't know if we posted any of our metrics on uh, our, any of our social media platforms, but um, Scott has done a great job uh, running the podcast in the wake of my busyness. I, we've seen some pretty tremendous growth across our Spotify. Yeah. Uh, we switched the podcast to uh, Podbean this past year and uh, it's been really good for us. Yeah, the numbers are great. I don't think I posted on social media. No, you know what it was on my episode with my friend Mike. I read the exact numbers on Spotify nice. where the growth was tremendous and elsewhere too. And the listeners are from all around the world, including where you're headed in a, another week or so, the UK. But That's um, great. Maybe I'll get recognized when I get off the plane. Listen, if you go to Buckingham Palace, the queen may say, oh, is that Jack from Stuff We Love? Bring him in. <laughs> William, you come meet this young man. Yeah. But, Anyhow, uh, it's great to be with you again, and uh, let's begin the show. So, Jack, what do you want to talk about first on this episode? So, I, I figured we'd start by talking about Hawkeye. Obviously, in our since our last episode, Spider-Man: Far From Home has come out, but we ha not all the hosts have seen that, and by not all the hosts, I mean Scott. So, well, we're going <laughs> to stick away from that topic because it's it's a it's a really cool movie, and I don't want to I don't want to give anything away. So, we're going to talk um, about Hawkeye. Obviously, it's. Um, a new TV show that's come out in the wake of other Marvel TV shows that have come out on Disney Plus, uh, including WandaVision, including um, Win The Winter Soldier, um, both of which were really great. WandaVision, especially, I know on the show we've talked about how much we loved it. And so Hawkeye was a new show. So, Scott, so yeah, why don't you just start by giving your kind of general thoughts from uh, the show, what you thought of it, and uh, any takeaways you might have? Sure. So, the first thing is that out of all of the Disney Plus Marvel shows that have come out, not including What If, Okay, because I haven't really seen all of what if the Marvel show, but like you said, Jack, I guess that's WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And uh, are we missing one? I feel like we're missing one. Maybe not. 
Maybe Hawkeye we, we was might the other. Be. Yeah. I think it was just Hawkeye, but I'll double yeah. check. But anyhow, it's certainly out of all the um oh yeah, Loki. Loki was the other one, which was my that's least favorite. That's a pretty favorite. big one to that's a pretty big one to miss. Too. Which shows how much Marvel stuff there is that we would forget about. That was your that. least favorite? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. We'll talk about that too, but but keep going. Okay, so Hawkeye was my favorite out of all of those shows. And it's interesting because in the Marvel films, I was not a huge fan of watching Hawkeye on screen. I didn't find him to be the most exciting character. And I think a lot of people felt that way based on the reaction I'm, I'm reading to the TV show Hawkeye. But I love the show because of a few reasons. One, the dynamic between Hawkeye and Haley Steinfeld's character, Kate Bishop, on the show, I thought was just great. They are two phenomenal actors, and I think they worked well off of each other. Uh, their scenes were funny and also heartwarming and emotional, the sort of parental-type relationship that Hawkeye established with Kate Bishop. Um, so that was one reason. And the caliber of acting besides the two of them, people like uh, Kate Bishop's mom played by Vera Famigna and um, a very good Broadway actor, Brian Darcy James, who was in the first episode and others as well throughout the show. I feel like <laughs> it's amazing. I feel like I'm missing. Wasn't there another very big name that was in Hawkeye at the end? Maybe not. It was just great. I love the way that it took place at Christmas time in New York, which I thought added to it. It kind of made it a Christmas type show. Uh, which was really fun. I love the way they incorporated Rogers the musical into the show, which was a, a Broadway a Broadway musical that Hawkeye goes to see, which features all of uh, the Avengers played by different actors and actresses. That was actually kind of funny. Um, and I, I just thought the uh, action sequences towards the end, by the way, spoiler alert if you haven't seen all these episodes, but the action sequences towards the end that took place at Rockefeller Center right in, uh, on the tree itself, I thought were just very memorable in the Marvel canon. So it, I thought it was a light and breezy show, but also intense with the violence and unpredictable. So I really loved it. It was my number one Marvel show. How about you, Jack? Okay, Sky, I hate to like complete do, do a 180, but okay. I didn't I didn't hate it. I, I liked the show. I thought it was good. But it's funny that you say Loki was your uh, least favorite. Not that you disliked it either, but just in mm -hmm. your ranking, because Loki was certainly my favorite. Interesting. And maybe close closely or closely behind WandaVision and Hawkeye was so far uh I guess my least favorite my my only reason because I I really did like the relationship between Kate Bishop and Hawkeye but I thought especially in the later episodes the dialogue felt a little weird to me and the action scenes which were cool a lot of the times seemed like obviously it's a Marvel movie it's a little far-fetched but it seems like really far-fetched and kind of unnecessary times. Like, for example, and like Scott said, this is going to be some spo spoiler warnings because we're going to be talking about details from the plot in the later episodes. Um, the scene where Kate jumps out of the window on the rope um, right. and lands, like I'm all for, you know, it's a Marvel movie. You kind of got to suspend your disbelief. But it's one thing if Hawkeye did it, like you could say, even though we know they're just both human, but Hawkeye's, you know, he's been doing this for years. He's, you know, an assassin. Kate Bishop, I know that she's done like Taekwondo um, and she was really good at archery, but I don't think she's had a lot of training, like jumping out of windows uh, or evading assassins. Right. And she does that like 30 story drop. And like I was watching, I was like, her legs would be snapped in half. Like she would just, she would not have survived that fall. And I get this belief, but it seems a little bit, I felt like they could have, and I, I have no problem with like creating a really crazy, you know, jump sequence for her, but I thought they could have made it a little bit more realistic in the same vein. Hawkeye 
like jumping out of the window and landing in the Christmas tree was like, it was funny, but I was like, if he does this, he gets impaled by the tree or like he falls. And so like, obviously there's a lot of that in Marvel movies, but it just felt some of those sequences where I'm like, they're just human. Like for them to do some of these things, it's a little bit far-fetched to me. And then in terms of the unnecessary part, I also don't get why she had to shoot down the Chris, the Rockefeller tree. Like I get, maybe that's just me not wanting the tree to fall down, but he's in the tree. He could have just climbed down. Instead, she like uses the acid arrows and shoots it and knocks it down onto the Rockefeller into the ice, at which point he should have also died from that with the tree falling and him just like magically rolling out of the tree onto the ice. So like I get it. It's Marvel. It's usually a little bit far fetched. But those sequences, I was like, this is too far fetched. Like make it a little bit realistic so I can be like, okay, well, maybe this happened or this happened. But but I was like, this doesn't this is something that like maybe Thor would do or, you know, maybe someone or like, I don't know, Ant-Man or something, but like, this seems weird just for two humans to be able to do this. Well, I'm trying to think about the, the scene where she sh- shot down the tree. Cor- uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't there quote unquote bad guys that she was trying to get the tree to land on top of? Wasn't that her strategy? I, I didn't think so. I think she was just like, hang tight. And then, cause the tree falls onto the ice. And at that time there was no one on the ice. Right, I, I think okay. it was literally just her like, I'm going to get you out of there. And he's like, oh, I have a bit, don't do this. Hey, like this is a bad idea. So I didn't love that part. The other thing with the with the bad guys you mentioned at the end, it's like, so they all come out of the vans with guns. Right. Um, and the last scene was cool where he shot the one arrow and all the guns stuck to the poles, like with the electricity. That was cool. To, I thought that made sense. It was like a cool sequence. But before that, when they get out of the vans, they all have guns and yet they all run to Kate Bishop so that she can uh, like shoot them with their arrows or do like some Taekwondo on them. I'm like, you realize if, if you have a gun, you just stop where you are. She has right. no like cover at anything. You just shoot from afar and like she's toast. So like some of the sequences, again, it's a Marvel movie, but some of the sequences I was like, uh, like I feel like people should choreograph this a little better. And the dialogue I didn't like was um, uh, Florence uh, Pugh's character. Florence Pugh, Elena. yeah, of course. That's another big name that was in it, right? Florence yes, Pugh. yes. Right. And she did a great job, but the dialogue specifically with her and Hawkeye at the end when she's like confronting him and she's talking to him about um, her sister um, who who and he's explaining kind of how um, Black Widow died and what happened. I didn't love that dialogue at times when she was like, you're lying. You're so pathetic. It just felt a little cheesy to me at times. And uh, I felt like that could have been done a little better. But that's that's the critical take on the show. I, I did like the show. I thought it was cool. And I'm excited to see Yelena and Haley Seinfeld's characters who will most definitely be in other movies mm-hmm. um, and like other Avengers films down the road. I'm excited to see them. Did you like the scenes with Yelena and Kate Bishop? Yes, I did like those scenes a lot. I thought they were clever. I thought they were funny. Like those fight scenes were really cool to watch and right. entertaining. Like I, in the I, office I liked building. that a lot. At the end. Yeah, the I thought that whole sequence. Scene. Yeah, especially when that one guy's like working on his computer while they're fighting <laughs> right. in the background. I thought right. that was really funny. And uh and like I said, the, the, all, the whole cast did a great job. And one of the thing I wanted to say is uh, I thought the, uh, the fact that they added a character, Echo, who the, the villain basically uh, amongst, you know, Kingpin, other villains in the show, one of the bad guys, I'll say, she's deaf. And so there's a whole dynamic between her and her partner, Kazi. And um, it was really cool. And I just feel like we've never seen anything like that. And it didn't feel also like they were forcing it. Like it felt very natural and appropriate. And like, it just had a really interesting element to um, right. not only this show, but like pretty much anything I've seen. I don't think I've ever seen a movie or a show where such a, a prominent character is deaf and you have to see how she like interacts 
and um, also how it fueled her backstory, how like she was better at uh, hand-to-hand combat because she was able to pick up on things just visually um, that other fighters weren't. So I thought her character was great, and I loved the whole dynamic um, with her in the show. Yeah, that was great, and also the way that plot developed where um, people that she thought were good ended up being responsible for her father's murder and how she turns against them. That that was really awesome. Um, The... uh, in terms of the, the other comments you made, one thing I do agree with you on is the scene where Kate Bishop rappelled down the building <laughs> was ridiculous because yeah. that that was a, a I can't remember. Was it Rockefeller Center itself? It was definitely a skyscraper. Mm-hmm. And she's not Batman. I mean, well, Batman's human, too, but I'm trying to think she's not. Uh, but like Batman does this stuff and like, you know, right. you've seen him do it before and like he. And also the physics just didn't make sense. Like, it's not like she held like when Florence Pugh did it, it was far fetched. But again, like she ran down the building, which was cool. And you're like, oh, she's an assassin. She's clearly done this before. Like, this makes sense. I like like with the physics of it. But Kate just slid down it. And then like at the end, she kind of caught herself. But I'm like the the force that would be coming. And I'm I'm not studying physics or anything. I don't claim to know anything about science. But just like from my naked eye, the force that would be like that she'd have to absorb after that. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It was far fetched. Um, so your favorite, your, your favorite Marvel shows, one was Loki, yeah. WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and then Hawkeye on Disney Plus. Uh, I'd say Hawkeye above, I, sh- I should say, I'd say Hawkeye above Winter Soldier. Okay. Um, but it, it certainly wasn't my favorite. So mine was Hawkeye, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki. Yeah. Loki, I also say the reason I liked it so much just is because of how they set up the multiverse. I just feel like that kind of makes it in my head a little bit, at least more important, if even not more enjoyable, just because of how important that's going to be down the road. And they said, right. I thought they set it up so well. But something else that these shows have done now, especially Hawkeye, is showing how Marvel is tying in their films to their TV shows. And the fact that Yelena played such a major role in Hawkeye, you really can't get the full Marvel cinematic experience, for lack of a better phrase, unless you subscribe to Disney Plus and watch these shows. Because you're just yeah. not... I had watched Black Widow shortly before watching Hawkeye. I missed that in theaters and I was watching it. And it, I liked um, I liked Hawkeye more than Black Widow, which I know may be a controversial statement. But the, uh, the way it just seamlessly went it from one into the other because of her role in Hawkeye, I thought it was great. Yeah, totally. I you're exactly right. Like in the past, pretty much since Infinity War, it's been clear that, like you said, you really need to watch the TV shows, which wasn't always the case in the past. You really need to watch the TV shows to stay up to date on the full MCU and what's happening. I mean, if you didn't watch Loki, you would have no idea what's going on in any of like the multiverse, which is going to be huge. And not only the new Doctor Strange movie, which trailer came out about a week ago, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be huge. And you wouldn't get that if you didn't watch the TV shows. And also I had never seen uh, daredevil, but right. Kingpin who's in Hawkeye. And, you know, I, I don't think I'm alone by saying that. I don't think he's dead at the end of Hawkeye. Agreed. I think he might be still alive. Yeah. Um, he was from the daredevil show, which I hadn't seen, but I know my brother had, and when we were watching it, he was like, Oh, he's, you know, he's from uh, daredevil. That's really cool. So they're really, they're really trying to tie, the whole universe together and like you said you really need to be watching uh these tv shows if you want to stay up to date agreed yeah kingpin was a great character i didn't see daredevil either to see him in this was he's almost invincible that fight scene with uh kate bishop was something else 
Yeah, it was cool. Um, so that's Hawkeye. Uh, Jack, you want to say anything about the first episode of the book of Boba Fett? Sure. Uh, another, obviously, Disney Plus production. Uh, book of Boba Fett comes after the Mandalorian, which we saw uh, the Boba, Boba Fett's character appear. And at the end, obviously, they tease, you know, the book of Boba Fett will return. And this is the show that we've now that we're now getting to enjoy. So the show starts. And again, spoiler warning, uh, the show starts with Boba Fett, where we last saw him after the movies in the uh, Sarlacc pit um, that he falls into, obviously, uh, you know, with the whole scene with Jabba Hutt and on the cruiser. And, you know, he, he, he falls into the uh, Sarlacc pit after his uh, jetpack malfunctions. We start with him there and we see uh, what has been long discussed in comics and other spinoffs for Star Wars as to how he, you know, potentially stays alive. And we see how he uh, takes his uh, flamethrower and basically sets the inside of the Sarlacc on fire to kind of cut his way out. And you see in a really cool sequence, and this is actually from one of the comics I saw him stick his hand uh, up to the sand as he uh, is able to escape. Another cool uh, note in the beginning is that he takes air from a stormtrooper uh, who is also in the pit. And some people rumored that this might have been a stormtrooper who was looking for uh, C-3PO and R2-D2 when they first ejected from that escape pod because people were saying, you know, why would there be a stormtrooper? There weren't any uh, on Jabba's cruiser, for example. Um, but the show is really cool. There's been some mixed reviews um, online from it. A lot of people just kind of wanted more. I think a lot of people were like, we wanted maybe the first two episodes to come out because they do spend a lot of time uh, talking about Boba Fett's, Boba Fett's backstory, how he escapes from the Sarlacc pit, um, how he basically gets on his way from then there's, there's a great sequence of him interacting with Tuscan Raiders and Tuscan Raiders who look like Tuscan Raiders we haven't seen before. And it was really cool to watch, but uh, I thought it was a great first episode to kind of set the stage. Well, um, obviously then there's a lot in the present time of the show where you see him kind of commanding his uh, bounty empire, him having to fight off, uh, you know, clear threats to his rule. And so I thought it was a great first episode. Uh, the cast is great. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. But what did you think, Scott? Well, I think the reason that people were not thrilled with the first episode is because they felt it started slowly. And, you know, I would say the first 10 to 15 minutes approximately was just footage of Boba Fett in a chamber rejuvenating and uh, getting rest and coming back to himself. And that uh, people found boring, but I found interesting. I kind of like to see uh, how he energized himself and got his rest. Uh, I thought the show really improved when it, particularly in the scene where the people in the community came to offer tributes to him and the way they interacted and his, uh, I thought that was a good scene. Also the scene where he goes to the uh, restaurant in town and meets the owner, right? That was, and then that's followed by the attack on his, uh, his, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His crew, basically. His yeah, crew, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. His crew. And, I thought that was a well-done scene. Um, I think that Boba Fett for years has been such a mysterious character that anything that we will get that sheds light on him and his nature as a fighter, and you see him in a different way here, I think is going to be great. And I think Disney Plus is doing a great job, just like with the Marvel series, in terms of establishing continuity between films and TV shows. Same mm -hmm. thing with Star Wars. I mean, I went before the first episode of Boba Fett, and I kind of... Uh, reread a lot of the summaries of the films because it's been a little while since I watched the Star Wars films. And that refresher was great for me because I was then able to see, oh, this makes perfect sense. This is that, and this is 
why Boba Fett's there, what's going on. Now, I was listening to another podcast, the Sasquatch Lounge podcast, which I really like. And uh, the host, Bart Scott, was talking about uh, Book of Boba Fett and how, if I understood correctly, some people were complaining that when Boba Fett emerges from the pit, even though he was covered by his armor in the original films and you never really saw him, he seemed older than you might expect him to be. And that could establish a problem with continuity. That was the complaint that I had read, that I had heard, which I don't necessarily mm-hmm. agree with. I think to counter that, we don't know hypothetically how long he was in the pit for. Obviously, it wouldn't be for you know years and years and years, but there could be an assumption that, and also that being in that pit really damages you and alters mm-hmm. you. That that's why he could appear so much older. Like I know when um, we see him take his armor off when he's, or I guess his armor is taken off him by the Tuscan Ra- by the Jawas first of all, and then the Tuscan Raiders find his body. But I know we see him um, look really burned, like his face is burned, and that can be assumed from what C-3PO says in the movies, which is that um, the, the pit, like basically the, this, the stomach will digest you alive and it'll take thousands of years to do so. But like the acidic, the acidic nature of uh, the properties in the stomach of the beast are re- really what like really does so much damage. So that could kind of explain it. You know, if he, even if he's down there for an hour or two days or a week, like that could do some tremendous damage that yeah. uh, would really age a person. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I don't, I, I really like Boba Fett. Without knowing a thing about what's coming, it's going to take a lot for me to say that I like a show more than Mandalorian, which I think is one of the best things I have ever seen on any network or streaming service. So, but I think this is good. And I just like the idea of another live action TV series in the Star Wars universe. I mean, I, I like the animated yeah. series too, although I'm not as familiar with every aspect of it, but live action, I think it's just great. Yeah, I agree. And an interesting, uh, I just pulled up some uh, headlines about it. The show has a 13% higher viewership so far than Hawkeye. And that could oh. be due to a variety of things, also including that, you know, Star Wars fans are a pretty loyal bunch and they'll watch anything with, you know, that's anything to do with Star Wars. And that might be, uh, you know, just something that's affecting it. But um, at least for the first episode, quite a lot of hype and interest in it. And um, I've seen a lot of rumors, none that I like to read too much, but mm-hmm. that there's going to be some cool cameos. Um, Clearly, we've seen that fans like the older Star Wars universe a little bit more than this newest Star Wars universe. So, you know, the fact that Disney Plus is and Disney as a whole is highlighting so much of this. Um, I think it's exciting. And uh, I think uh, I think people will be even if they were somewhat disappointed with this first episode, I think they'll be uh, encouraged by episodes to come. I agree. And, you know, I've heard some people recently complain that Disney Plus is not giving them good value for their money. And I strongly disagree with that. I, I really don't know what Disney plus costs per month. Cause I signed up for that three-year deal. Um, so I, I don't know what it costs, but to me, look at what you've gotten recently. You've got in Hawkeye, you've got in Boba Fett, you got the behind the scenes with the different attractions. You get original movies. I think, yeah, it's not Netflix where there's this unbelievable amount of content coming out on a weekly basis, but Disney plus I think is giving you a lot, especially if you're a fan of Marvel and star Wars. Yeah, I just looked it up. So annually in the US, it's uh, $7.99 per month, so $8 a month, or you can buy it for a year at $80 for a year, or in Canada, which is, I guess, for whatever reason, it's different costs. It's $11.99 per month or $120 annually. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the cost. But I mean, $8 a month doesn't, I mean, I would pay $8 a month for the amount of content we have so far. And I think I also did the, like, I did the Hulu Disney Plus bundle or whatever for- which gave you a, be- a little bit of a better deal. But that's, I think that's a, 
pretty uh, pretty great calls, especially around the holidays. There were a ton of uh, Christmas movies on Disney Plus you could have watched, right? A bunch of which weren't on um, Netflix or um, you know other streaming providers. For whatever reason, I had like a strong urge to watch um, Tim Allen's uh, Christmas. I forget what the name of it is. The Santa Claus. The Santa Claus. Yeah. Right. For whatever reason, during the holiday season, I was like, I want to watch this movie. I haven't seen it since I've been young and it was only on Disney plus. So right. that being said, it is, a, I think it is a Disney product, but, but still like there are a ton of things that um, aside from the original content that uh, they have on there. So I think it's, I think it's worth the money. Me too. I mean, look, if you go to a movie, you could spend $15 on a ticket and maybe not even like the movie here. You're paying half that give or take for all this stuff. That, that's just, Look, people are able to spend their money however they want. Some people have different priorities, but for me, I think it's well worth it. Yeah, I'd agree. Speaking of money, Jack, we should spend a couple of moments talking about um, increased prices at Disney World and whether or not it's actually going to stop people from going to Disney World. Because uh, in terms of what is increasing costs at Disney, you have everything from the introduction of the Genie Plus service, which came out not too long ago, to um, what seems to be Increased demand at the hotels causing these very expensive room rates. The hotels at Disney are extremely busy right now. And as a result, hotels that maybe would have been expensive no matter what are now even more expensive. And there's been a tremendous amount of anger about it that I find online, especially on Diz Twitter, where people are complaining that people are being priced out. I think we're going to have to see the impact of this. All of this has led to a lot of anger towards Bob Chapek. Um, although I think what people don't realize is that it's not just Bob Chapek, you know, he's the head of the company. So he's naturally going to be where the anger is directed by people, but he's not the head of parks and resorts. He's not, and I'm not saying anyone is responsible. I think it's just, I think it's the team of leadership that is increasing costs. And, and what's your take on this, where we are at right now? Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, the, What's for sure is, like you said, we have to wait and see what the impact's going to be. I think in the short term, we've seen that there is such huge interest in going to these parks and pretty much going to anything Disney related that it seems almost completely inelastic. Like Disney could charge whatever they wanted and they're still going to get people into their parks. I think the damage, like you said, is going to, if if there is any damage, I mean, maybe there won't be, but it's going to be long term. Like, do people seriously shift away from Disney um, just because of the cost? And, and like people who used to go maybe twice a year, only go once, uh, people who used to go every year, only go every other year. Um, people just kind of frustrated with, I, I've heard a lot of people frustrated with kind of the vision of what Disney's doing. You know, Walt Disney really believed that anyone could go to the park, you know, of any background. So that was, that was kind of a big thing. Obviously we're a long way from what like Walt Disney originally intended the parks to be. We've, the parks have grown so much since, but like you said, people potentially are getting priced out by these higher, higher costs. I think. Like you said, if there's going to be any damage, it's going to be in the long run, but we'll, we'll certainly have to see. I think um, if you look at Disney's stock, it hasn't been great over the past year. I mean, it hasn't been bad. The whole market's been kind of interesting, but there has been a lot of critique of Bob Chapek. And like you said, even though he's not you know, controlling everything, he has certainly you know, kind of had this ambition to raise prices across the board, whether it's ticket prices, because he came from merchandise. So he's, he certainly knew how to do margins. And we know how expensive pretty much any Disney product is. A Disney plush toy, which probably costs like 30 cents to make, will sell for, you know, $29.99. So he, he's, he's certainly the one I'd say he's certainly kind of, he's not against this. He's not against raising prices. But like you said, it is the whole company as a whole, but it's going to be interesting. I think long-term we'll see uh, real damages uh, from this. 
Yeah, it's it's very uh, interesting because I was watching one of my favorite Disney YouTubers, PC Dev, and this was a video where he went to Universal around Christmas time, and he said what he was hearing from friends and colleagues was that more people were booking Universal vacations than booking Disney vacations in the near future, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I have said for a long time, I think generally you get better value for your money at the Universal Hotels. Um, I was just checking rates for spring break at Universal, okay? Now, I saw one of my favorite hotels, Portofino Bay, was in the 600s per night, which is extremely expensive. And I think that was an annual passholder rate. Grand Floridian, I didn't check it, but my guess would be as much during that time or maybe even more. And again, this is a personal call. I think Portofino is a more appealing property in some respects than the Grand Floridian, but you do get good value for your money. Also, if you stay at certain properties at Universal, like Portofino, Hard Rock, or Royal Pacific, you get that express pass when you go to the theme parks at Universal. So you get front of the line access. And I think there's also a sense that with Disney, the launch of Genie, uh, Genie Plus did not go as intended. I have heard so many complaints, both people telling me how bad their experience was and me reading about it that uh, recommendations given to them by the service were not good, that it didn't really enhance their enjoyment of the rides or reduce wait times. It really, I mean, that's, that's not good. Also, you combine that with the fact that there's been several reports that people bought tickets to Rise of the Resistance where you could actually purchase the right to go on the attraction now that waited for hours. It was a four-hour wait the week between Christmas and New Year's. And I read a news story where it said, then the ride broke down. So you had people that waited four hours for the ride. And they didn't even, didn't even get on it. So stories like that, they turn people off. They really do. Um, there yeah. is a sense, I guess, I guess one of the things I would add is that Disney, as you know, Jack, for years, when you go to Disney, it takes planning. You and I have had so many conversations where we'll talk about our upcoming trips and we'll say, okay, this is what I'm doing this. What do you think about it? Here's where we're going to eat. It's not just, oh, let's get in the car and go. That's even more pronounced now. And a lot of people, they're just reaches, I think you get to a point where, there's only so much planning they want to do for a trip. They really want to just be on vacation and universal, I think gives them more of that opportunity. Yeah. It also seems unfair where it's like, unless you purchase this genie pass, you're pretty much screwed. You have to either wait in lines for like two hours or more, um, or you can't get on any rides. And like you said, it doesn't really seem fair if you're going on a vacation and it is this difficult to do anything at the park. I don't know if they have to start setting, um, you know, occupancy limits for how many people they're going to let into the park where they can actually make it so that it's an enjoyable experience for people, but not to be obviously. So this was kind of a joke, but when Dave Portnoy, who's the CEO of Barstool Sports went to the park, he tweeted something along the lines of, if you don't have genie pass, it's like you're being waterboarded or something like sarcastically, like it is so brutal for anyone who not only is going to get overpaying the exorbitantly high cost for tickets, but then you got to pay for this genie pass. And then even then, like you said, Scott, it doesn't always work. And like the service hasn't been good really since it launched. I think it's really concerning. I, I also just don't really understand the motivation behind it. Like I understand they're just trying to make more money, but if they're making people so unhappy as a result, it doesn't seem to be too foolproof. I agree. And I, um, you know, I tend to give Disney a lot of leeway when they set their pricing. You know, I think that some of the anger that's directed at Bob Chapek has been way overblown. I think it's, uh, Prices have got, been going up under every Disney CEO. And of course, we're going to continue that trend. But you know me, Jack, and our listeners know me from listening to the show. I love going to Disney World. 
And I usually have traditionally stayed at Universal when I go for Halloween Horror Nights weekend. That's when I normally stay at Universal. Now, when I plan my trips, I'm actually considering, okay, should I stay at Universal or Disney? Where am I getting better value for my money? And even if I end up staying at Disney for some of the time, there's a good chance if I'm there for a long time, I'm going to be at Universal for some of those nights. And that never used to be the case. It used to be where I'd stay at Disney and go to Universal for a day or something like that. Now yeah. it's changing the whole nature of my trip. And this is going to get even more pronounced when Universal opens up their new theme park in a couple of years, which is not even at the same location as Islands of Adventure and the traditional Universal Studios Park. This is Disney's going to have to respond and they're turning off a lot of fans. Whether those fans are justified or not, I'm not getting into, but it's people are going to be turned off. They really need good customer relations right now. Yeah, and I think just the big picture is Disney's always been really expensive. Like that's like you said, prices have always gone up under new CEOs, but I think even now it's becoming so pronounced and I think a big shift was making fast passes paid that never used to be a thing. Like you always used to be able to get fast passes, either physical tickets or on through the My Disney Experience, which really worked super well on the app. That was right. a great service. I felt like very little issues when I went and used that. And now it's becoming where you literally have to pay to get on a ride unless you want to wait hours and hours and hours. So it's it's now seeming like it's almost really hypocritical. Like, oh, the happiest place on earth always used to be expensive, but now it's like absurdly expensive. And the happiest place on earth is like only happy if you're going to spend, you know, a crazy amount of money uh, to go to the parks and enjoy them, which is, it's starting to feel like Disney's kind of losing uh, their, their, their vision. And maybe under this uh, current uh, Bob Chapek uh, lead that it's uh, they, they don't really have a clear direction. And it's like you said, it's turning people away. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I would just add to this is that I have heard that the average length of time between a Disney vacation for the average family is three and a half years. So that is probably going to grow longer if things continue on this current trend. And also our friend of the show, Dean, who's been a guest on the podcast many times before and who is a travel agent, has said uh, that when you're in Disney World, the overwhelming majority of people in the park at that time are first-time visitors, not repeat visitors. You're going to get a lot less repeat visitors unless you start to do pricing that is somewhat friendly to them. I mean, people are paying in the fours or so to stay at the All-Stars. And that's that's reflective of demand. So there is demand there, but I just think lots of people are going to be turned off by this. Um, and I, I just don't know where this is going. It's, it's a weird time right now in the yeah. world of uh, Disney world, in the world of last, Disney world. <laughs> it's a weird, last, weird phrase. last thing I'll say too, that's a great point about first time attendees. I think that's kind of what they're doing. They're basically saying like first time attendees will pay basically any price because they just want to see it. And so even if it affects like some repeat customers, they're like, we'd rather be able to make so much more per customer on all these, you know, first time uh, attendance of the park that it makes sense. That might be, that might be other thing. Obviously we have Scott and I have no idea. We're completely right. speculating, sure. but that could be something that's happening because um, yeah, like my family's repeat, you know, Disney customers and even we're like, this is kind of nuts. Like how right. expensive this is. Like we, we're going to go a little bit less frequently than we used to because of it so yeah we'll we'll certainly have to see and i guess we'll leave um we'll leave that at that we don't want to make this episode too too long sure the last thing I we wanted to talk about uh before we go to the stuff we love segment is that i will be abroad for the next semester i'll be in london i'll be uh, so I'm, I'm approaching the end of my college career and uh, for this i'll be doing my entire spring semester from uh, my school's campus in london so we're gonna have if Scott's open to it, we're gonna have Scott, he's been to London. So we wanted him to talk a little bit about specifically Liverpool. Cause I'm trying to pick his brain about 
where really, because I'm a big Beatles fan, as everyone knows, Scott is too, trying to pick his brain as to really what's worth checking out and what to do when we're there. So uh, Scott, I'll turn it over to you. Well, that's awesome. Thanks, Jack. And uh, before we even get to Liverpool, one of the things I would tell you that you really should do in London is go to Abbey Road Studios, uh, where the famous photo of the for the cover of Abbey Road, the album was taken. And the zebra crossing that is on the cover of the album has been moved. So the crossing that's on the road now is not where it was in the original spot, but it still is a major tourist attraction. And people try as best they can to recreate the photo where they're all crossing the street. It's very hard to recreate that photo because the drivers at that part of London, they don't slow down at all. There actually is a webcam that you can go to where you can look at live footage of that crossing 24 hours a day. And you'll see tourists taking pictures and you'll see the cars. They, they're not going to slow down for your uh, vacation experience. But um, what's also cool about going to Abbey road is that people leave messages on the wall outside the studios. So they write, uh, you know, so-and-so was here. They'll write Beatles related messages. You can't go inside the studios except for a couple of times a year where they open it up for special events. But um, that is something that's definitely worth doing in London itself. And there's actually a Beatles tour in London where you could see sites associated with the Beatles, including, for example, where they performed their rooftop concert, which was just featured in the Beatles Get Back, also on Disney+. Plus. Another reason to subscribe. Great, great value there. But anyhow, when I was in London in 2008, one of the things I really wanted to do was go to Liverpool because I had heard that was kind of like Disney World for Beatles fans, since the Beatles are from there and there were lots of tourist attractions. And there's a few ways you could do it. But what I would recommend someone who would be going there for a night or two, which is probably what you would do if you went, uh, is this. What we did was we took the train from London to Liverpool, which was cool because when you're at a train station in London, you can't help but think of Harry Potter and all that stuff. And uh, whenever you're in a foreign country, it's cool to take trains just because you see what it looks like. And, you know, you go through towns and through farmland and you think, oh, man, I can't believe I'm in England now looking at this stuff. And when you got to Liverpool, we were taken to Lime Street Station. That's the name of the main train station in Liverpool. And I guess it was about a two and a half hour trip, give or take. Uh, And Lime Street Station is where uh, I know that uh, I read the Beatles when they were young would wait to meet their manager, Brian Epstein, who was trying to secure them record deals. And he would come back from London and they would wait for him there to see if he had any success. And uh, what I would do if I was going to Liverpool is stay at the Hard Day's Night Hotel, which is a Beatles-themed hotel. And you would think it would be very cheesy and over the top. And that's coming from me talking about, you know, Disney hotels, <laughs> where the theming is. But I'll tell you, it's actually a really nice, classy place. The Beatles are present in the hotel through wall art and things like that. But it's, it's an elegant hotel. It's actually kind of fancy, but not overpriced at all. And the individual rooms themselves have... Uh, you know, our artwork featured actually the artwork by this artist named Shannon, who does a lot of Beatles related artwork. And there's individual Beatles, Beatles as a group type stuff. It's really amazing. And it's located right near Matthew Street in Liverpool, which is the street where the Cavern Club was located. The Cavern Club is where the Beatles played tons of performances in their early days. Uh, that also is now no longer in its original spot, but there is a Cavern Club. And I highly recommend it because what you do is you go down this very long stairwell into a basement cavern and they have live music performances and it's just a cool thing to do. There's also a great John Lennon statue on Matthew Street and restaurants and shops and all that. That's where you really get the Beatles Disney World type experience. 
But also two other things I would highly recommend is that if you're there for a day or you know, two nights, something like that, take a Beatles related tour. We did the magical mystery tour where we literally got on a bus that looked like a magical mystery tour bus, probably was about a two to three hour tour. And they took you to different sites in the city where you got out and took pictures. So for example, outside the gates of Strawberry Fields, um, they drove by John's childhood home. They took you to Paul's childhood home. You didn't go inside. That's a separate tour you'd have to book through the National Trust. So if you really wanted to go inside their homes, you could do that through booking with the National Trust. But uh, just photos of the outside of their childhood homes, George Harrison's as well. Um, you drive on Penny Lane. I got a great, great picture of me leaning against a street sign for Penny Lane. All that stuff is really cool. And there are individual tours you could book as well. I think Magical Mystery Tour is run by the same people that run the Cavern Club. And then finally, and this is what I would recommend, uh, strongly recommend, there's a museum in Liverpool. It's called the Beatles Story. And it is a Beatles museum about the history of the Beatles. And when we went, we wore headphones, took an audio tour as we went through the place. It's a lot of fun, amazing photo ops, very interesting. And um, I just loved it. And uh, what we did, I'm trying to think where we ate. I, I kind of remember eating pizza on Matthew Street. The food in England for people from the States takes some getting used to. That's something I kind of recall. So, you know, the pizza there may not be as good as it is here in the Northeast, for example, but uh, it's just a great place to go for one or two nights. You could definitely, as a Beatles fan, find nonstop things to do. And it's a cool city to explore. Liverpool is a port city, so it's right on the water. Um, it's it's really, those are my main recommendations. So you got the the broad stuff like the Magical Mystery Tour, Cavern Club, Beatles story. And then if you really wanted to take it to the next level, you could book visits to their childhood homes, John and Paul. And uh, that's something I intend to do on my next trip to Liverpool, whenever that is the, the home visits. That, that all sounds really cool. I know for certain the uh, cavern uh, bar that you mentioned, I had seen that independently and really wanted to check that out. So I'll definitely, definitely go to that. And if we do stay, I don't know if we're going to do a day trip or, you know, stay over, but I definitely want to check out that hotel as well. So mm -hmm. that looks really cool too. Yeah, but, it's a nice um, hotel. I remember excited. when we checked in, there was a guy that helped us with our bags, taking them to the room. And he had, you know, the people in Liverpool have a very distinct accent. It's different than a London accent, for example. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, oh man, he sounds just like Paul McCartney in the way that he talks. <laughs> um, but it's really, uh, it's a cool city. And there's other stuff in Liverpool that are not Beatles related. There's an art museum, uh, things like that. But it's it's it it really is a place where, so much of their economy is driven by Beatles related tourism. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at pictures of the hotel online too. It looks really pretty. Yeah. It's a nice hotel. It's not cheesy at all. Yeah. So that is, um, that is when Scott went to Liverpool and hopefully, um, I'll be able to do a lot of the same and, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the trip and I'll probably be excited to talk about it, uh, on the podcast at some point. So I'll be back and hopefully I can record when I'm there, but I'll be back in after early may and i'll hopefully be able to do a little trip report on uh what i got to enjoy yeah um so we'd love to get a show at at least one recorder when you're there certainly can't wait to hear the uh, trip reports from when you return and uh you should try to get kate middleton on the podcast when you're there <laughs> just real quick join us on stuff we love <laughs> all right i'll do my best i'll see if i can talk with her i'm very excited for you though it's a great place and um it's an easy place for Americans to go to because the language is the same. So it's, an, it's not like yeah. you're struggling to understand what they're saying or anything like that, which is just a much more, it's an easier, easier experience.
Yeah, for sure. So uh, the Stuff We Love segment is where Jack and I are going to give you a recommendation for something we've enjoyed recently. Could be a movie, an album, a book, a video game, anything. So for me, my Stuff We Love recommendation is a movie I watched on Netflix, which is actually their most streamed movie in history. Netflix announced this, which is Red Notice. Did you see this movie, Jack? No, I haven't. Red Notice stars Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. And uh, it reminds me very much of these 1990s, early 2000s action flicks, where it's just breezy, light, fun, but over-the-top action sequences. And it deals with um, art thieves and police efforts to stop the art thieves. I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but if you like watching Dwayne Johnson on film, as I do, he's one of my favorite actors, I I find it to be uh, really well done. The stunts were great. It didn't get the best reviews. I read a lot of negative comments about it, but to me, it's just something enjoyable to watch where you let your mind go and uh, enjoy the film. So that's my recommendation. Red Notice on Netflix. So Scott, that sounds great. We'll definitely, I'll definitely have to check that movie out. My Stuff We Love item is also a movie, also from Netflix. So it is a movie called Tick, Tick, Boom. It is directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So for anyone who doesn't know in our audience, he is the person who created and starred in the Broadway show Hamilton. He's also had some other movies he's been working on recently, In the Heights, which I believe that also came out on Netflix, but that recently came out as well, which got good reviews. So Tick, Tick, Boom. It tells the story of Jonathan Larson. For anyone who's not familiar, Jonathan Larson is the composer behind the musical Rent, which is one of Broadway's longest running productions ever. And so it tells the story of Jonathan Larson's life. It is played by, uh, he's played by Andrew Garfield, who I didn't even know could sing. But in this movie, he does a ton of singing and he's, he's quite good at it. Some of the people in the cast are Vanessa Hudgens, who people may know from the live musical that she did of, I think, I believe it was Grease. And then also she obviously was in High School Musical when she was much younger, but it is a fantastic movie. It's got an 88% score on Rotten Tomatoes and among fans, it's even higher. For anyone who enjoys Broadway, you have to watch this movie because there are a tremendous amount of cameos from really esteemed Broadway legends who are in the movie. But overall, even if you aren't interested in Broadway, the movie is really good. The music is super catchy. It's actually from uh, a play that Jonathan Larson produced called Tick, Tick, Boom. That's kind of how uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda tells the story of Jonathan Larson's life. And I just can't recommend it um, enough. And the album is on Spotify if you want to check out the music maybe before you watch the movie. But um, it was really fantastic. And I wouldn't be surprised if you saw this nominated for a lot of awards um, in this upcoming awards season because it was really tremendous. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. Uh, I didn't even know it was directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's very interesting. So uh, that's a great recommendation, Jack. I'll definitely uh, check it out and talk about content. Netflix, both of our Stuff We Love recommendations come from Netflix, yeah. which is very yeah, cool. Sure. And with that, Jack, I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find the podcast online. Our website is stuffwelovepodcast.podbean.com. You could write to us, stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, stuffwelovepod. Our Instagram is stuffwelovepodcast. We have a Facebook and a YouTube channel as well. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and leave us those good reviews, which makes it easier for others to find the show. And with that, Jack, I uh, guess this will be your last episode before you leave for London. Yep. Well, good luck there. We're all... uh, Hoping you have a great trip. Thank you. I'm excited. Represent our country well abroad. (laughs) I'll do my best. And uh, I guess we'll go around the table one more time. I am Scott. I'm Jack. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.